lorsque j'ai connu Clyde autrefois. Hello, welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gosowski, and I'm here with my favorite co-host, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you today? Good, how are you? Oh, not too bad. Good. So we're going to talk about the Inside Out LGBT Festival that's happening tonight. It starts tonight. So it's very exciting. And we're going to talk about some highlights because the festival goes on until June the 3rd. So you've got plenty of time, and uh, certainly there are so many good films to see. And so we're just going to pick just a few of them. It was extraordinarily difficult to narrow it down. I don't know, Courtney, where, do you have a preference where we start? No, they, they're all... They're I know, it's like, a, yeah. can't, you can't go, oh, well, this one. It's okay. a very strong crop of films that they, they have this year. Yeah, okay. Well, why don't we start with the one that is coming up later. Uh, it's called MM, M slash M. It was a hit at Slamdance. It had great success there. So now it's coming here, and it's uh, a Canadian director, Drew Lint. He is a Canadian who's living in Berlin right now. And so the story is about a Canadian who has just moved to Berlin. He, you know, he's feeling very lonely. His, his name is Matthew. And, uh, he, you know, it's hard to settle into a new city. But one day, when he, was at his, when he was at his job, he encounters someone who catches his eye. And obviously, Matthew's, uh, this other character who's known as Matthias, we find out, Matthias is definitely eyeing Matthew. So they have this brief encounter that leads to this, this sort of obsession that Matthew develops towards Matthias. It takes on these really interesting proportions. I mean, that's a very simplified version of the story. The story develops in, I don't want to ruin it, in, in sort of really interesting ways. It isn't very complicated, but what I really loved about the film was the fact that it kept the story simple so that it could really indulge in this fascinating, it's really like a fascinating overall visual strategy with these visual themes that support and add to the, the simple narrative. You know, it, it, it really enhances what's going on in the narrative to, to bring out, like, like this fascination that they have for each other. It looks like at first that they have for each other. And so what Drew does in this very deliberate way, Drew Lint, the, the director, is that he, he, he takes on the old uh, visual style of voyeurism, but he takes it on in such a deliberate and uh, he's very – it's like a very insistent kind of, you know, it doesn't – he doesn't let up. And he's not even trying to be subtle about it. And I don't mean that in a cra- – like he's not being crass with the style. I just mean that he's not hiding it. He's using this in a very deliberate way. And I just I – fa- that's one thing that I found really fascinating. Yeah, it's a, it's a simple narrative but a challenging film. And I say that in the, the best possible way um, because it, it is a experimental thriller, if you will, and the way how it looks at obsession and as you mentioned it, it does utilize visuals and atmosphere there's very little dialogue in this film especially between Matthew and Matthias and when they do interact it's through I guess you could say social media even when they're in the same room so it's it's chilling at times there's some great moments of dark humor thrown in as well and just the overall style, there's 
there's a, a coldness to the film that's very intriguing and enticing. You're seeing these two individuals essentially, you know, st- struggle for power while at the same time try to connect on an equal level. It's a very kind of complex dynamic, uh, but it's it was a film that I was thinking about for days after. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, to Mr. Lint's credit, that, you know, that's what you want. Yeah, it really gets under your skin, doesn't it? And, that, and that's what I mean about the visual style. Is when I was watching it, I was fully aware that, that, that it would not have had that same effect on me. Because really, it is about two disconnected individuals, right? Who, through the way that the film is constructed, are connected. But they're connected only through this voyeuristic theme and this voyeuristic style. So the act of looking... Each of them the, and their act of looking, uh, the, what they see, the way they see, when they look, um, how they – the act of being looked at is, is like – it's this constant dynamic of looking and being looked at that sort of uh, creates that tension you know, in the relationship, which – that's what fascinated me because on the surface it's cold. The, the setting is stark, which is another thing that I think adds to that, you know, in terms of visual style, mm-hmm. is that the setting is very stark. And, um, and Drew Lint is very deliberate about keeping things very stark. So when you add these other – like strategies, I keep calling them strategies. And they, they come in and they just – they upset things. You know, they they add that, you know, when it because when it comes to that their interaction, yeah, it's cold. But when it comes to the what you see and the blurring of dream and reality that starts to happen, and that that's only visually. There's there's nothing spoken. There's nothing, and in fact, we're not even sure when a, it's a dream, like. When it's a reality, when yes, he, he does you know a very I mean? good job of of blurring the lines. There's there's certain times where I think he gives you subtle markers, mm-hmm. um, and then there's other times where you're not quite sure if what you're witnessing, as you said, is a dream or reality, or if the marker that you think is indicating one or the other, if that's actually yeah what but, it is. But think about it: if if you just th- you know, said what the story was, said what the plot was, it wouldn't be that intense and dynamic. It's these these strategies that are happening to enhance, to reinforce, to sometimes even cause tension. Tension between what the narrative is doing but what the visual style is doing is something else. Yeah, I, th- yeah, I think the, the synopsis of the film, just in terms of how it's designed, you could still get um, good tension out of it, but I think it would be very traditional. Mm-hmm, there's exactly. a couple. There's a couple of films that uh, I'm not going to mention right now because I don't want to send listeners off in the wrong direction. But my mind immediately went to these films at the beginning, thinking, "Oh, it's going to be like this." Especially yeah, I had the same. Yeah, with, you know, the aspect of like reinventing oneself and what have you. But the style does make it something completely new and unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the the way that the the narrative develops in terms of what happens with Matthew's obsession, and then the way that that comes into play and brings up the whole question of identity. And so, when you're talking about reinventing yourself and the self, and the reinventing and the and 
you know, his relationship to this other person who's had such an impact in only one way. Mm -hmm. And we're not really sure how, how real that is. Yeah, it's it's a because it's dreamlike. Yeah, it's a fascinating film, and you know, for to have such a uniquely challenging film to you know kind of start your career of feature films. Because I know he's done a bunch of shorts in the past. It's it's a it's a wise move. Like you know, as yeah. I said, this is a film that you see and you don't forget, which is probably the best possible compliment that you can you can give a filmmaker. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, what a, what a, a vivid dynamic. I keep using that word dynamic, but uh, talk about bursting onto the scene. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's this is a must see in my mind. M slash M by Drew Lint. And that's coming up later on in the festival. Make sure you go to insideout.ca constantly and just, you know, plan your festival and keep checking in on that. So that that was M slash M. Now. So half the picture. It is a film by Amy Adrian. It's a documentary about female filmmakers in in the film industry, especially in Hollywood. And the director gets a I'll say who's who of of female directors, um, some that are very well known, some that you might have seen their films that didn't even realize um, that the director was a woman. And she gets them to talk about their experiences in Hollywood. It's, you know, very timely with the whole Me Too, Time's Up movement. But I think even without those movements, this film would still be very impactful because she gets a wide range of women to all share their stories and this film kind of debunks a lot of the myths that we have in Hollywood like you know when people say oh there should be more female filmmakers and studios say oh well there wasn't enough applicants in the pool yeah you know women just don't like directing genre films and all the excuses or as this film points out they'll have uh, programs to try and incorporate more female filmmakers within the studio um, system Mm -hmm. but a lot of those programs are just for show. Yeah. You know? so it's they like, don't oh, lead anywhere. Yeah, we have mentorships, but nothing really comes out of it. And it's a fascinating film. Uh, there was a moment where they're speaking to the woman who was originally directing Brave yes, for Pixar. Uh, yes. And she was famously kind of booted off that project, even though uh, I'd say 80% of the final film is all her ideas, everything she envisioned. And even when they won the Oscar, you know, and she was allowed to go on stage, but she was told that she wasn't supposed to speak. Like, you know, she was told she was not allowed to speak. Yeah. And it's just one of those things to show you how, you know, on every level, the, the control and I guess the oppression of women is in, in the studio system. Mm -hmm. I sigh. I sigh not because I don't want, I, I, this film is important. I think it's important to make this film. I think it's important to keep this conversation, especially put it on the big screen, put it in front of audiences, put it in a festival. I I found, um, okay, besides the fact that it's a pretty traditional kind of talking heads Mm -hmm. film, which, I mean, we can excuse when the subject and when the discussion is sort of new and I just found that these stories were stories I had not heard. But the thematics of it 
like the the actual subjects the structure of the, of yeah, the film the itself yeah the structure of the film and you know where they went and it's like okay let's talk about this now those are old and nothing new I, like all i got new out of it was new stories individual stories you know like i could point to that filmmaker you could point to this filmmaker you could point to that filmmaker but as an overall whole i didn't feel like i really wanted it to extend it even further um, into something. I feel like it could have been mind-blowing. Okay, in terms of the revelation or just in terms of its uh, In terms of the conversation. Yeah, okay. in terms of the, the conversation. And, the yeah, I guess the revelation. I mean, uh, I'll forgive the construction. Sometimes you just need talking heads. That's fine. But there was something vitally uh, uh, just – it wasn't vital. It wasn't um, – Maybe because the, the structure was traditional. See, I'm still wrestling with this mm -hmm. because I was sitting there and I'm thinking, I am a horrible woman. Like, how could I not – I felt for everybody. I felt – I just felt like, yes, we, we know this. We know this. We don't know the details, but we all know this. Yeah, that's been, this, this has been going on for years and it's still it's been, going on. Yep. Yeah, and this, this – it's like uh, – Find a way to restructure that conversation. Um, there wasn't a lot of talking amongst individuals. There wasn't a lot of, you know, looking to the future. There was simply, this is what happened, and this is what's still happening. Um, there, was, there was really, like, not a lot of anger and rage. And I, not that I'm... Arguing that there should be anger and rage, but there was there was no spark. Okay, I can I can to see, make you go. Yeah, I can see you where know? you're coming from. But I think she she relies a lot on the stories themselves. And one of the things that I really liked about this film was the wide variety of directors. Because often we talk about female empowerment, especially in Hollywood, but we look at a particular type of woman. Mm -hmm. Whereas this one, she had like the director of Real Women Have Curves, you know, mm -hmm. which I would have never have expected to to see pulled out, you know, for for this yes. film. Yes. Obviously, you've got the 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 big names like Ava DuVernay, Lena Dunham. Those I would expect, but she she really dug deep. I found to to mm -hmm. pull out some, and I agree that there may not be a lot of rage, you know, often I think a lot of it is more disappointment and frustration mm -hmm. in the stories. But I think the the film does signal towards a hopeful future, but one where, you know, you have to have women at various levels. Like it's not just about the directing as they talk on the film. It's about, the casting agents it it goes to even t having actors when they're having their short list of directors having them change their mindset so it's not just tarantino scorsese what have you not necessarily re representing them the way that they should as you say it's like it gives people uh, some people who don't really know that much about cinema and then how the structure it gives them something more to think about yeah. so okay <laughs> Do you want to do 1985? 1985. Okay. I, was, I, this is a, I'm going to segue a little bit to this one. 1985 it takes place in 1985, and it's about a young man who um, has to um, go back home. 
he he was raised in the Bible Belt and he moved to New York City, and um, he you know living living his life as himself, you know being himself, and uh, he so he escaped all that, but he has to return home because uh, this was uh, the time of the AIDS crisis, and he has to tell his parents, his family, uh, what's going on with him, what's happening, what's happened, and what is about to happen. Um, and it's, uh, it actually has, has, does, you know, it's had a lot of attention. Um, the director, uh, Yen Tan, uh, take, I think it was at Sundance, like it's been to a number of festivals. Okay. And so it has, um, it has a little bit of a, you know, some buzz before it gets here. And, uh, you know, going back to that era and going back uh, to, to this kind of a topic now as opposed to what was happening back then and films that I had seen not in 1985. I am, I am, in fact, too young for that. Uh, but, you know, around that time, it reminded me in, in a lot of ways of some of the cinema that was coming out. Again, to, to bring up the local community, it's, it's not, it's not to, 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 say, to say anything, like to be div, diversionary about the local community. It's just that um, this, this can be, a, you know, something that we can... We can feel tuned into because uh, some of us experienced it, and now. So, I, th- having said that, that I think that that I have to reference that in terms of my reaction to the film. Because when I first sat down and started watching the film, I thought I saw that uh, that pattern. That because there were a lot of films like that, right? And I saw that pattern of, okay, the AIDS crisis is going on. This person is dying. And now, you know, they have to face the family. And uh, so there was a bit of a cynic in me because it, it, you know, it's just, at the beginning, I didn't find that it was very structurally. I think, you know, I saw that there was so much potential, but every once in a while, it sort of faltered. Uh, the director is so good at setting up for these very still shots and uh, allowing a lot of activity to go in and out of the shot and have a lot of sound around the shot that affects, like if you have a close-up of the protagonist, or if you, even if you have a scene, there's always what's going on in and out of the screen, out of the frame. So it was very interesting, but every once in a while, the strategy faltered, and it, it wasn't as strong, you know? So there were moments where I sort of fell out of the story until about the midpoint, and this is why I had to bring up, you know, the experiences, if you've had experiences with this in the past, that I don't know if it was my emotions, um, but I do know that the film sort of turned itself around and picked up. Mm-hmm. And so that I think that it, it has a really strong finish. It has a really strong impact. But I, but I also think that, you know, um, if you're an emotional person and and this does bring back any memories, then you will be like me, I have to admit. I was weeping at the end. This is a film that... I enjoyed, uh, I, guess, I guess similar to you, I, I found the beginning and the way how it sets things up to be a little too conventional. There was a lot of tropes, you know, he, um, the lead character, Adrian, um, played by, I think it was Corey Michael Smith, who, who did a really good job in the lead, but I think um, most people probably 
remember him from the television show Gotham, mm-hmm. where he plays the Riddler, yeah. and this is a completely different role. And you know, the character goes back home to you know Bible Belt country, and his, his folks are living a modest life. His dad's a, a tad cheap, um, you know, and and he's very much a I guess the prototypical. Hollywood man's man, like you know, you raise your child to be tough, and he can't understand why Adrian's he's a bit of a stereotype. He's, he's very much a in stereotype. this kind of a story, right? They're, yeah. I, they're all stereotypes at the beginning, yeah. And that's it. Took me a while to get into the film, but one of the things I liked about this film is it's a lot quieter than I thought it was going to be because everyone is such a stereotype at the beginning. I was expecting the big moments, the big yelling moments when you know you've got to come out to your your father or your mother um you know the the conflict with um his friend played by Jamie Chung who i think was probably one of her best performances mm-hmm. um, and yeah but, that was really powerful, but i didn't yeah. we didn't get those big moments everything is is um quiet it's subtle you know and and that's what i that's what struck me about this film so i got into it the more it went on cuz even with the limited roles, I found that um, Virginia Madison and Michael Chiklis, who play the parents, they brought a lot of interesting dimension yeah. to their characters. Even much th- more nuanced. Exactly. Right? Very, it's very nuanced, even though the characters, there's not really much to them because they're the way how they're designed is archetypes. But they, the performances in this film, I think, are why you'll see this film because they, they really do elevate the film above its script. Yeah. Um, and just the, the quietness and how when things are revealed, even when you find out that maybe um, Adrian is not as all-knowing as he thinks he is, especially when it comes to family and family dynamics. Yeah. And when those reveals happen, especially from like certain things from his parents, when they acknowledge certain things, it's done kind of quietly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and by the end, you're, you're left kind of in the same emotional state as Adrian where you don't know what's coming next and you don't even know how his life will evolve and his family's life will evolve after this, this gathering. Yeah. But you, you know, with family, we always think that we kind of have our family figured out and know the ins and outs. And half the time we, we're all just struggling to kind of connect and continually learn each other. So that's what, that's what got me about this film. Yes. I I think that's a really, really good point about, um, about, you know, the way that it's structured like that and, and the way that it it continues, even though it has this, like, you know, as you say, sort of conventional uh, kind of beginning and that, because those quiet moments and the, the surprise that there are no big moments there, there's plenty of surprises in those little moments and it does not pan out the way you think it's going to. It doesn't doesn't do that at all. Mm-hmm. And yeah, th- I think that's why it's, it was so incredibly powerful. And especially the the error that they're doing because you know they're they're going back to the eighties, and yeah. you automatically think of certain eighties movies and just a lot of a lot of the tropes that you think all right they're going to play into. And I was just expecting that. They were there was there was going to be a lot of moments that the film didn't end up giving me, which I'm happy it didn't. I know. It's, it's, <laughs> we it's, sound it's, so cynical. It, no, no, it, it's, it's weird to say that, but especially with this type of film, and because we've seen so many films about coming out or mm-hmm. contemplating coming out to your family, and regardless of uh, what the circumstances is, it's like one of the the tent poles of 
a lot of um, LGBTQ films, but yeah. now we're starting to move away from that. You know, as we and have the with filmmakers, are, Eminem, yeah. everyone's kind of moving away, showing that we can. There's there's tons of other stories to tell, and it's not just the coming out. And this one, it really sets it up like it's going to be a traditional tale. And you're like, oh, all right, find another one, but it, it goes different places, <laughs> which is good. Which is good. Actually, I should not. I should not just say that we're cynical because that's kind of dismissive of us because you know it in reality if a film sets itself up in the first 20 minutes in a certain way it set itself up that way right mm-hmm. so any audience member you know it has set it set up those expectations or it sort of set the scene or set the mood for you and set the way you're thinking and so the the fact that it does that but then it could surprise you um yeah, it's always to a filmmaker's credit because sometimes you can't avoid the stereotypical. But when you can sail past that or or in this way just sort of elegantly glide past that, it, you know, it's a beautiful thing. I just, I just wanted to say something really, really quick about this film because um, I know you haven't seen it uh, yet. So it's Retablo. Retablo is a film from Peru. It has made... Um, Quite a lot of um, great, you know, great impressions uh, at the festivals that it's played so far. It's the Canadian pre- premiere of this this film, and it is a debut feature. It's you know, the the filmmaker is a newcomer. It's uh, it's about a man. Uh, it's mostly about the boy. It's about a boy and his father, and the father does this traditional folk art, and the two of them at, uh, go around the countryside, sort of looking for jobs, and then doing them and delivering them. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's this very close father son relationship that gets strained um, because of uh, the truth about the father. And it from because it's set up from the boy's point of view, it's it's, it's it takes on this other kind of poignancy, you know, because there's that bond and you see that bond and it establishes that bond. Plus, it establishes this world. I mean, the way that that it sets up this world in the countryside of Peru, but also the indigenous community, you know, in Peru. Mm-hmm. There's there's so much that is is very rich and luscious and and. Um, incredibly um, deep and, and it's, it's just so many things going on in this film. It, it's, it's really, really, this is a must-see. All right, Retablo. we'll definitely have to look out for that one. Okay, so those are our highlights for this week. Yeah, you go to uh, insideout.ca um, and you can find the schedule and full listing of films playing. Okay, and that's it for this week and we will be back next week. Thanks for listening. Oh, <laughs>